0: Gotta feel it in my bones, in my bones, I gotta feeling it. Something I don't know the name of gonna happen to me today. Nothing's gonna stop that thing from happening soon. I have mentioned in the past, but not lately. That I have cards available that you can use if you're out on the street and you want to direct people to the Trip to Truth website. Welcome to the Anaquito Forum on a Friday, 22nd day of July. We're going to take a little look at Trip to Truth, I suppose, since I brought it up. Also... Some recent work by our friend Scott Clark and some work by our friend Frank Viola. So enough to keep us occupied and hopefully not over-informationized for the next few minutes. www.aniquipto.com is the website. Homework is posted. We'll be referring to it. I also wanted to say, just on the front end, since one of my real pet peeves, I guess, is this constant buzz of over-information and what i refer to as over-informationizing but i was just kind of thinking and i'm i'm kind of freestyling on this one a little bit i freestyle all the time what else is new that's what i do but i was thinking that i mean speaking of information we have the commands of christ the things that he told us to do go and preach the gospel to every creature Go and make disciples, teaching them to observe what I have commanded you. Sell your stuff, if you have extra stuff, and give to people who have need. Stuff like that. I mean, the the simple commands, we've gone through them, they are in my blog, they're all over the place, I mean, they're easy to find, just, you know, go through the scriptures. But I was thinking, okay, you meet somebody who's a Christian, and they say, well, I really want to obey Jesus, but... I don't have enough information. And the question I was coming up with was, what information do you really need? And this is not to be sarcastic or anything like that, but I'm really serious. If you are going to obey Jesus at any one of the several points where he commands obedience, what information do you need? What do you need to know before you can do it? For instance, go and preach the gospel to every creature. The information you need is, you need to know what the gospel message is, very obviously. And if someone does not know what the gospel message is, then probably they're not a Christian. But more often than not, people can be Christians, but they simply don't know how to articulate the gospel message without bringing in a lot of unnecessary stuff, without going down a lot of rabbit trails, or without getting distracted. But you do need to know the basic gospel message in order to be obedient at that point. Go and teach them, you know, make a, make disciples teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. What information do you need in order to be obedient at that point? Well, you simply need to know what it was that Jesus commanded his disciples to do. Or not do, as the case may be. But you need to understand the commands of Christ. This is Knowledge. Okay, these are things you simply need to know in order to be obedient. And I suppose you could set up a similar criterion for just about everything that Jesus said. Find a command of Christ and say, what do I need to know in order to obey this? And then the next question is, how much of this information is still missing? In other words, what don't we know that we really need to know? And I would submit that the information has been presented. We don't need to be taught. We may need to be reminded, but we don't need to be taught. We know this stuff. Anybody who's been, even in a very Laodicean-type church, would probably have a sense of some of this, or at least know who to go to or where to go to get the information. It isn't like we're totally lost on this. So having said that, uh, the ball is kind of in your court. What I'm trying to do, I guess, is structure up a little bit for the next few weeks until the rapture or whatever. But if there are areas where you really feel that the knowledge itself needs to be clearly presented, uh, maybe framed in or filled out or something like that, maybe you have some ideas on some of the things you'd like to do, but you're really not sure. It's a knowledge issue. Send me a note. Tell me what that knowledge is that's missing, and we can explore these things together. Maybe develop a little camaraderie over the web, and maybe explore a few areas where I have been unclear or have been deficient or maybe just mysterious stuff. My conclusion, based on what I'm kind of seeing, as I've said before, is that all the information is there, and most of us have found it. I mean, we have enough information to live out our discipleship as Christians we know enough that we can be obedient so if we are not obedient in one or several areas and not just us but the average Christian let's say who understands that the scriptures tell us to go and preach the gospel tell us how to treat the poor tell us a lot of these things about how husbands are supposed to relate to their wives in Christ things like that we know this stuff. The reason that we don't do it is not because we don't have the knowledge. There's another reason, or maybe several, and maybe we'll dig into that too. I didn't come here to meddle, of course. I came here, I suppose, to warn. Because when we stand before the Lord at the Bema seat, these are the sorts of things that are going to come up. He says that very clearly on the front end. You know, If you love me, you'll keep, me com- keep my commandments. You'll obey me. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I tell you? That sounds like a rant. I didn't come here to rant. I didn't come here to fuss. I'm really very cheerful. I'm very upbeat. Anyway, uh, Scott Clark did a video. I posted the link on the homework page. He has kind of revisited this September sign in the heavens of the crown of 12 stars over the head of the virgin who's in labor to give birth. And His original position, and he wasn't real explicit on this, but if you look at his charts it's kind of hard to miss, is that this was an event that would happen in the middle of the final seven years. and Obviously, we are well past the beginning of the final seven years if next September, uh, or a, a year from this September, 14 months from now, is the midpoint. And so he kind of revisited some of that. He reviewed some of the conjectures that he had before, and he said, you know, well, obviously time has shown that, that original model of the final seven years beginning with the first blood moon of the Tetrad and the sign of Virgo in the heavens uh, described in Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, being in the middle of the seven years, obviously that's not going to work because we're already as i said 14 months from the middle and the the beginning hasn't happened yet so now he is supposing that the sign in the heavens that is going to appear in September of 2017 is an event that happens at the beginning of the final 7 years well i disagree And one of the reasons that I disagree is because I think we're trying to put all these things, force fit them into a whole bunch of little boxes. You know, Okay, this is 1260 days, that's 42 months, it must be the same period of time. And it isn't. I don't think it is. I think there's probably a great deal of overlap, but it isn't necessarily the same. Or the seven years of burning the weapons of war and the final week when the Uh, confirmation of the covenant takes place and for the final seven years which he and many others seem to think that this is the Antichrist who's going to rise up and, and force this peace agreement people think that those two seven year periods are the same seven years and incidentally right at the beginning when the Antichrist, on the very same day that the Antichrist is inking this deal and the war of Gog and Magog is beginning you know, that seven-year period when they're going to be burning the weapons. They all happen on the same day, and that's the same day that the two witnesses start their ministry, and it's the same exact day as the final seven years and the tribulation period. all happens all at once, all the same day. And I find that problematic. I don't see that consistently patterned in Scripture, and I don't see any compelling reason to believe that it all happens at once. It is entirely possible that the rapture event could happen this month. And then there could be right after that sudden destruction. Maybe not the exact same day, but uh, within a period of a short period of time, some really horrible things happen. You know, this party gets started. And then sometime after that, there is the confirmation of the covenant, and everybody finds out that I was right, that what's really being confirmed is the Abrahamic land covenant or something. But it's the Messiah who confirms this deal with Israel, possibly by the ceiling of the 144,000. Not necessarily, but possibly. But it doesn't all happen on the same day. This is stretched out over a period of weeks, maybe months. I mean... After World War III, this whole planet's going to be reeling. People are going to really wonder what hit them. We understand in an academic sense how horrible war is going to be, but we don't really understand how bad it's going to get. I mean, there are an awful lot of collateral damages that go along with this deal that we don't really think about. It's going to be a bright flash, a loud noise, a lot of dust, and people running around. But we don't think about the fact that suddenly all of our food supplies that we thought we were all set for a couple of years, man, I bought all this freeze-dried food, it all got destroyed. Now what am I going to do? And there won't be water running and there may be uh, random explosions from natural gas coming out of the gas system and there's going to be all kinds of crime in the streets. Really nasty stuff that we tend to think, okay, there's a war. We don't know what it's like. And Even the people who have experienced war have never experienced anything like this is going to be. I mean, if the prophecy in Isaiah refers to that, where the Lord says that this planet is going to sway like a hut, it's going to stagger like a drunken man. He's going to split the earth. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken we're talking about something that is really unprecedented, and this is just the opening of the party favors. I mean, remember, this is the starter's pistol for seven years of transition. And I believe that it's the front end of this thing, the front end of the seven years, It's going to have a whole lot of tribulation, and then the back end, I think, is going to be reconstruction. And the completion of the agenda items. I mean, once again, we go to Daniel chapter 9. When you see the things that... God in Christ is going to do to restore the family of Jacob, the Israelites, it doesn't say anything about a trip to the woodshed. It doesn't say anything about beating them until there's hardly anything left. It doesn't give you, when you look at the agenda items, you don't see punishment in there at all. And yet, this is what is going to be accomplished during this final week. So there has to be a period of time when there are no rockets, Red Glare. When there is a little bit of Peace and uh, some kind of stability, at least in their little corner of the global village. But we also have this period of time when the two witnesses are doing their thing, and they have a 1,260-day ministry, which makes me believe that they are going to appear at some specific time and exactly 1,260 days. This isn't about three and a half years. If it says 42 months, it's more than 41, less than 43. It isn't necessarily to the day. But 1,260 days, well, that would be to the day. So let us suppose, hypothetically, just for the sake of our random eschatological ramblings, that we have, in the very near term, the beginning of the the War of Gog and Magog, and everything that comes after that. And let us say that the witnesses come on the scene when witnesses would be expected to come on the scene, and I would expect them at the Feast of Trumpets because it is required that there be two witnesses who can attest before the Sanhedrin, which is now in place, that they have seen the new moon, and then they blow the trumpets. That's the way they've been doing it. So if we play forward exactly 1,260 days... From this upcoming Feast of Trumpets, we land on March 16th of 2020, which is the 20th day of Adar. Nothing significant there. And if we wait a year to the 21st of September next year, which would be the first day of Tishri, and play forward 1260 days, assuming again that this is exactly when the two witnesses appear, we land on... March 4th of 2021. Once again, not surprisingly, 20th day of Adar. And most eschatologists would probably not be comfortable with that because they want a cookie cutter. They want it to start on a particular date, and they want the days already to have some significance. But suppose that it doesn't work that way. In other words, if you think about witnessing and say Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you shall be my witnesses. Suppose that the designation of the two witnesses happened at that point, played forward. In other words, the anniversary of the commission. Let us suppose that that was, and we don't know when it was. I mean, the guess is that it was 40 days after the resurrection when Jesus was ascending. But as we've discussed before, we don't know if it was exactly 40 days, if it was exclusive or inclusive. We don't know when the 40-day count began. And, as a matter of fact, the whole thing drifts anyway, depending on what year it is, because it's anchored to the Sabbath. And the Sabbath can vary throughout the cycle. But let us say that it was then. We would never guess it. It wouldn't happen until it happened. And the only thing that we can know from the Scriptures is that when these two witnesses are active in their ministry, it will be clearly visible to the world, number one, and number two... When, we, when they, we won't be here, but when they backtrack to the beginning of their ministry, they can then count forward 1,260 days and figure out when it's curtains for these two guys. The point I'm trying to make is that it doesn't have to start all on the same day. We don't know when it's going to start or when it's going to end. And it could be the same thing with this sign in Virgo that it is a sign, something is going to happen. But Scotty does kind of a finesse on this one because right after Revelation chapter 12, verse 2 is Revelation 12, verse 3. And he just ran away from that one. There's going to be another sign, presumably at, at or near the same time, of a great red dragon. And if we can see the major players, if we can see the woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, the crown of 12 stars, all that shows up in the pattern that Scotty has identified. What about this great red dragon? Well, this is going to bring a lot of people into the fray with, well, it may be a comet or the red Kachina or Nibiru or something. And I dare say any of those guesses or something even more horrifying uh, could be the case. We do not know. The point is, we don't know. We can't look at these patterns and see it. And so, with Scotty's work, I mean, he—I think he's probably, probably accurate in seeing a definite biblical connection between the sign in Virgo that will appear in 14 months and the thing that is described in Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. There probably is a correlation. But that's all we can say. And we can't really extrapolate from that. We can't even really safely say that the rapture is going to happen at that point. Because there is some evidence there when it talks about the child being caught up and the word being harpazo, that that could be a picture of the reborn sons and daughters of God being gathered together. Jesus was gathered into the clouds, taken to heaven, could be the same thing for us i am strongly persuaded against that position but it is a position that some people could take and truth be told based on the scriptures alone we really can't tell so uh that to say this uh, good for scotty and i think that he's doing some interesting work there but uh, once again let's not be distracted if our departure is 14 months downstream Gird up your loins. I mean, you have another 14 months that you can lay up treasure for yourself in heaven. You can be obedient to Christ and that you can glorify him, not only in this world, by the way, but when you are glorifying Christ, you are glorifying him before all creation. There is a whole invisible creation that we cannot see. Angels and spirit beings and all kinds of stuff that we haven't been told about that's on the other side of this curtain. They're watching us. According to Jude, they are. They're stooping down with great interest and seeing what we're doing and trying to understand why we're doing it. A lot of the stuff that seems fairly straightforward to us is apparently a great mystery to them. But Jesus Christ is glorified in our lives, and this glory is reflected to these other entities that we are unaware of. So that's important. That's big stuff. And, of course, we can live lives that delight God. And that to me is exceedingly exciting because the thought of God being as big as he is and as glorious as he is and has just... When we try to talk about how great God is, all we're doing is displaying the inadequacy of our language. I'm claiming that promise in Zephaniah that we will get a perfect language, but for now it's inadequate, and yet this awesome God who made us, who loves us, and who is gathering us to himself, can actually take delight in the things that we say and do. And the thought of being able to please God, to me, it's an extremely high privilege. Don't take it for granted. And once again, I sound like I'm fussing. I'm not fussing. I'm excited. I mean, I think that's really cool stuff. Next item, uh, Frank Viola. Frank talks about hearing God. He did uh, two items, I guess. One of them's on his website. I thought the other one would be, and I'd just be able to link it, but the second part, the part that's linked as homework, simply showed up as an email. But the idea of hearing God and responding to God, but having this communication level that is, I'm not going to say supplemented by the scriptures, and I'm certainly not going to say that it goes beyond the scriptures, but it is real life relevant communication from God. If you wonder if you should take this job or that job, if you wonder if you should sell your house and move into an apartment, or if you should get involved in this ministry, or if those people over there are really not the kind of people you want to deal with, scriptures oftentimes do not address those things specifically. But the Lord does. I mean, he is within us, and he will direct our thoughts and direct our hearts and guide us in the day-to-day. And this is the area that Frank is talking about, and he makes a very valid point that up until the 1800s, there were an awful lot of illiterate people. And if the only way God talks to us is through the written word, the scriptures, and for most of human history, the scriptures were not available to the average person, does this mean that God had nothing to say during the Middle Ages, during the Dark Ages, up until the time that people became literate and people got the scriptures in their own language? And Frank is inclined to say no. You know, The Holy Spirit does talk to us. Here's ways to recognize his voice in your life. And so I posted that. It's a sort of an ad for a book that he and Leonard Sweet are coming out with. I haven't read and can't really endorse the book, but it's there. And you're big kids. You can take a look at it. If you think you want to take advantage of his pre-publication offer, uh, get the book at a discount. You're certainly free to do so. And this may be the kind of information that you really need, you know, as opposed to just speculation and hypothetical Christianese type stuff. Knowing how to hear and recognize the voice of God is really something that we should be good at and um, should be involved in. And when we're discipling people, this is a transferable skill. I mean, it's something you can hand on. My humble opinion. Nobody taught me this stuff. I mean, I had to figure it out a lot of it by myself. And some of the stuff that I'm seeing from Frank is stuff that I have figured out by myself. But it's still good to see it. And if you're unfamiliar with it, probably you'd want to check that out. In the news, I believe the Republican convention has wound down. I'm not following it. I think they're done. So I think what we'll do now, since we know that Mr. Trump is the one who has been presumably selected, is start to pray for Mr. Trump, of course. Maybe gird up our stomachs a little bit for what's going to go down very shortly in Philadelphia when the Democrats have their turn. And in any event... uh check out the news with Adam McManus, who is probably back in San Antonio after his trip to Cleveland. I haven't listened to the news yet, so this will be a first for me, too. But the next voice you hear, The Worldview in 5 Minutes with Adam McManus. And then I'll be right back to wrap things up.
1: It's Friday, July twenty second, 2016 A.D. This is The Worldview in 5 Minutes. I'm Adam McManus. Republican Senator Ted Cruz stood his ground on his refusal to endorse Donald Trump for the nomination yesterday. Cruz explained that he was, quote, not in the habit of supporting people who attack my wife and attack my father, unquote. However, Cruz said he is committed not to criticize the Republican candidate. Sadly, the leaders of the Republican National Convention did not call for a day of repentance, over the sins of the nation. Rather, Trump invited a homosexual to speak in what Fox News called another first. Peter Thiel openly declared his homosexuality from the podium. Plus, the Republican Party chose a Muslim to offer the closing benediction Wednesday night at their national convention. Salid Tarar was given several minutes to offer a prayer to his God at the ceremonies, and a chorus of amens were heard after the prayer. Deuteronomy 5.7 says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. He's another pro-abortion candidate for president, and he's polling at 13% against Trump and Clinton. Libertarian Party candidate Gary Johnson showed up at the Republican National Convention in hopes of siphoning off a little Trump vote in the November election. Psalm 11.3 asks this question, When the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? This year, California schools are starting the kids early with instruction on the ideology of Sodom and Gomorrah. California Superintendent of Public Instruction, Tom Torlakson, called it, quote, a big win for the students, unquote. Second grade students will learn about so-called family diversity, in which some children have two fathers or two mothers. Fourth graders will study the life of Harvey Milk, a homosexual leader in San Francisco from the 1970s. These public schools are urged to participate in LGBT History Month in which students learn that Katherine Lee Bates, composer of America the Beautiful, was a lesbian. Matthew 18.6 says, Whoever shall offend one of these little ones who believes in me, it would be better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were drowned at the bottom of the sea. A group of Israeli rabbis are protesting the annual march of proud homosexuals in Jerusalem this year, calling the march an abomination. The parade through the Holy City was expecting 10,000 participants. Fox News Chief Executive Officer Roger Ailes has resigned after 20 years of serving at the top of America's conservative news flagship. He resigns amidst accusations of sexual harassment. In a recent editorial, Todd Starnes of Fox News calls Ailes the, quote, original, gun-toting, Bible-clinging son of an evangelical Protestant, unquote. Ailes is attributed with keeping one news source in America conservative, hiring news commentators like Bill O'Reilly and Sean Hannity into the Fox News family. A billion-dollar business... Fox News is the number two most popular channel on cable behind ESPN. Proverbs 7.23 issues fair warning of sexual temptation for every man among us. With her much fair speech, she caused him to yield till a dart strike through his liver as a bird hastes to the snare and he does not know that it is for his life. The Washington Post has featured an article on the church of the age of Pokemon Go, pointing out that church leaders are using the game as part of the service, even drawing attention to an occasional visit from one of the imaginary monsters. However, Eric Luty, pastor from the Eldersley Mission in Windsor, Colorado, told Christian News Network that such gimmicks serve to, quote, diminish the quality, the power, and the integrity of the amazing, life-changing truth we have to offer, unquote. And that's The World View on this Friday, July 22nd, in the year of our Lord, 2016. Reporting from the Republican National Convention here in Cleveland, Ohio, I'm Adam McManus. Seize the day for Jesus Christ.
0: Sounds like Adam was still in Cleveland when he made that report. Uh, But anyway... I chopped it up a little bit. There was an awful lot of sound files from the convention that I don't think were prophetically significant. I would suggest that the most significant prophetic things in the Republican convention were the fact that they turned the podium over to a gay guy who's proud of being gay, turned the podium over to an Islamic or whatever who is proud to pray to somebody other than the Lord God in the name of Jesus Christ, And that there was no call for repentance. So once again, the commanding officer of (laughs) the Titanic, USS United States, um, we're heading for the bottom, folks. I'll tell you what, that right there, that whole thing that went on, and these are supposed to be the good guys, to me is the most serious harbinger that this country is done. We're done. We're done. So stay prayed up anyway. I'm done probably for the weekend. I don't think I'm going to do a program tomorrow or Sunday, but I will post a few things as led, I suppose, if stuff shows up. For those of you who may want some what I call prayer cards, the little uh, business card size cards, I just talk to people and I say, um, hey, can I give you a prayer card? Most people are really not adverse to prayer. And I give them a card that has the link to the trip to truth thing on it and just take the discussion where it goes. But oftentimes people are very open to receiving a card. I mean, I've never had someone say, no, I don't want your card. They will be polite and take it. Perhaps sometimes people will actually go and check out the website. But what I've asked for you to do anyway is be bold in the marketplace for Jesus. Take a stand do something for Christ. It doesn't have to be big. It does have to be consistent. So, that to say this, if you want a few of these prayer cards, pass them out to your uh, the strangers that you meet usually, not your friends and neighbors. They've probably already heard the gospel. But then again, maybe not. I don't know. Uh, but if you want some of the cards that you can pass out, send me an email. I'll send you some cards. The new cards that I come up with as soon as I'm done dis- uh, distributing the cards that I have now are going to have a QR code on them so that someone with an iPhone or whatever can simply scan the QR code and it'll open the page automatically so they don't have to monkey around with the URL at all. But I'm not going to order those until I've got these used up, and I still have a few left, so if you want to help me distribute these, that would be groovy. Send me an email, stevekirp at att.net. God bless all of you. Hope to see you in the clouds, but no feeling in my bones this time around. I think we're going to be here a little bit longer but not much god bless all of you bye for now got a in my bones in my bones i got a